We looked at Hebrews chapter 11 last week, and we looked at faith. Uh, we looked at living a life of faith, and now we're going to, going to apply it in our, in our own lives. We looked at the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. And tonight we're going to try and um, bring it home and see how we live it. Now, remember, the theme of our study at the moment is uh, anxious for nothing. And how does faith relate to it? Well, faith and anxiety are opposites. You can't have faith and be anxious, and you can't be anxious and have faith. It's, it's always important for you to be able to actually identify where you are at any given time, right? Um, you have your sheet from last week? Way to go, Gavin. Anybody else got their sheet from last week? Way to go, on you. Tony's giving out some. If you haven't got your sheet from last week, we'll give you another one. The only thing is this week's one is fiver because we gave it to you for free last week, so it's five euros for this week, okay? That's to, that's to help you... That's to help you to remember the next time, all right? All right, anybody else need a sheet? Let's read our text. Hebrews chapter 12, we're looking at verses 1 through 4. Anybody else need one there? All right, Hebrews 12. <laughs> Hang on, one, one more up here. Tony as well, when you, when, you get the, when, you, when you get it free. Yes. Greg. All right. <clears throat> Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, those are the witnesses of... Hebrews chapter 11 that we looked at last week, and they're witnesses in this sense. They're witnesses in the sense that they've gone before us, they've done it, they bear witness to us and say to us, it is worth it, go for it, you will be glad you did it. All right? Seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Father, would you bless us now as we look to your word? Would you help us to get a hold of it? And would you let truth shine in our hearts in such a way, Lord, that we are changed? In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read you an introduction uh, here about George Mueller. George Mueller knew a lot about faith, the best way anyone can know anything. He lived by it. His early life was one of gross wickedness. By the time he was 20, uh, the age he became a Christian, he had already done time in jail. But then his interests and attitudes radically changed. Now, George Mueller, uh, really, if you, we had met him when he was 19, we would have said, no hope. He was, he was uh, wicked. He was devious. And um, he was headed down the wrong path, and if we had, if we had met him, we'd, we would have said no hope. But he got saved. And when he got saved, God really got a hold of his heart, and he changed, right? <clears throat> After Mueller spent years training in the, for the ministry, he went to England to do missionary work. 
among Jewish people. Uh, when he and his wife moved to the uh, British seaport of Bristol in 1832, they were horrified to see masses of homeless orphans living and dying in squalid, narrow streets and foraging for food in garbage heaps. The Mullers, with an unshakable belief in the Bible, and that's key to it here, they had an unshakable belief in the Bible. They believed the truth of the Word of God. Right? Now, we would all say we believe the truth of the Word of God. But there's believing and there's believing, isn't there? There's believing in the place where you actually say, okay, it's true, and I'm going to live that way because it's true. I know it's true, therefore I'm going to live like it's true. That's what they did. They believed it in that way, right? <clears throat> With an unshakable belief in the Bible, we're convinced that if Christians took Scripture seriously, there were no limits to what they could achieve for God. Now, is that true? If Christians took, uh, took <clears throat> Scripture seriously, there were no limits to what they could achieve for God. They set out to feed, clothe, and educate destitute orphan children. At the end of the Mueller's lifetimes, the homes they established cared for more than 10,000 orphans. Unlike many today who say they live by faith, the Mueller's never told anyone but God of their need for funds. He always abundantly provided, though, uh, through their thankful prayers and humble waiting on him. <clears throat> now, Oh, what would happen is they used to send out a, a, a bulletin, effectively, that would tell everybody how things were in the home. And if things were bad financially, he wouldn't send it out. He would wait till things improved before he could send it out because he, he made a commitment. You see, the, the whole issue of, uh, of um, <clears throat> feeding the orphans was to demonstrate the power of God that he could actually do what he said he would do. And so they weren't going to ask people for it. They were going to demonstrate the power of God. And it became a well worth reading uh, book on, uh, on Mueller's life, but it became a wonderful, powerful uh, picture of God's ability to actually take care of him. George Mueller said, where faith begins, anxiety ends, and where anxiety begins, faith ends. Okay? So catch that now. So what's the problem? What's one of the key problems we have with anxiety? Faith. We're not trusting. Now, we can say we are. We can try and tell ourselves we are, but we're not trusting. We're not trusting God if we're anxious. Right? Um, because of his exemplary life, we can believe he knew what he was talking about. If we would do a comprehensive study on what Scripture says about anxiety, we would need to examine what it says about living by faith. So we're going to talk about living by faith tonight. We're going to talk about uh, Hebrews chapter 11, all these people live by faith. We're going to talk about living by faith. That's the key to the Christian life. God looks down on you, and uh, it's not the way you look that pleases God. It's not the things you do that please God. When God looks at you, it's your faith that pleases Him. Uh, it's our trust in Him. Uh, it's our trusting in Him. It's our dependence upon Him. Uh, Hebrews 11 and 12 are the chapters of faith in the Bible. Chapter 11 gives a general definition of faith. Um, <clears throat> And a slew of Old Testament examples, right? Now, we talked about that last week, right? Uh, we saw man after man after man, and they lived by faith. They trusted God. They saw the heavenly as being more real and more important than the mundane and the things that they lived uh, and saw in the world. And we, we need to keep that in mind, because when we looked in Matthew chapter 6, you know, at that great passage that, that talks about the birds of the air and the flowers of the field— before you get that passage, Jesus makes the statement. He says, you can't love God and mammon. 
There's a choice to be made uh, in this area of faith, whether you're going to love God and mammon, whether you're going to be taken up with God and his things and heaven, or whether you're going to be taken up with the things of this world. And remember, uh, part of your faith, we talked about last week, is seeing there's another realm. I am going there. That's home. This is not. As much as this feels like home, this is not home. I'm on my way somewhere else. I'm going to heaven, and I'm preparing. I'm planning for that. When I'm preparing and planning for that, I'm on the same page as God because God is looking to give me a better resurrection. He's looking to actually prepare me for heaven. And when I'm, when I'm looking to, to live well in this world and make this my life and this my home and everything else, I'm at odds with what God wants to do because God wants me preparing for heaven. It doesn't mean I can't do and serve and be a part of this world. I can. But the aim, the focus, the goal for God, uh, if you like, is I'm taking you to heaven. I want you to keep that in mind. I want you to keep one eye on heaven as you live your life because that's where you're going. That's your long home, right? Okay, so look at your sheet there. We're supposed to lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily... Uh, uh, beset us, right? Now, the picture here is a race, okay? Well, say you're going out, you're going into a race. How heavy do you, uh, what weight do you want to carry with you when you're, when you're in your race? Very little. Very little, as little as possible. You want the lightest runners they make, you want the lightest clothing they make, you know, you want, you want it to be as light as possible. You don't want to carry extra weight into that race at all. You don't go running in your hobnail boots and in your overcoat. You don't do that because, why? Just wear you down. You're not going to finish. You try and run a sprint and you carry that kind of weight and what's going to do is you're definitely going to run way below your time, but you're probably not going to finish. Because the heat and everything else that's going to get going is going to wear you, but you're going to be worn down. Now, in the Christian life, in the in spiritual life, we need to lay aside weights, anything that would encumber us, that would tear us down. We need to remove those things and get rid of them. Now, we see that for racing. You see, you see a guy going out to do a marathon in an overcoat and boots, and you're going to say, "Poor guy. Somebody needs somebody needs to help that guy." <clears throat> You know, he's not going to make it, right? Now, we see that in the natural realm. In the spiritual realm, we often miss it. Okay? We miss the weights, the things that tear us down. Now, if you started off running with your overcoat and boots on you, you might actually make a fair show for the first while. But then you'd get worn down. And so often what happens in the, in the, in the spiritual life is that we start running with a lot of weight hanging out of us, and we end up, before you know it, falling by the wayside. Because it's too much. You've got to get rid of the weight. You've got to get rid of the weight. You've got to get rid of those things that are going to hold you down. Right now, what kind of things are going to <clears throat> uh, hold us down? Um, <clears throat> many things can weigh us down and hold us back in the Christian life. Materialism. What's Materialism. Okay, focusing on this world, focusing on money, focusing on the, focusing on the th- things of this world. Uh, right? Now, that's kind of hard for us, isn't it? Because, you know, this world is, is, is very much there. It's very real. 
you know, it becomes very important to you having enough money to live and having a place to live in and having a car to drive in. All those things are very important to us. And it's very easy for us to get completely taken up with those things and for those to become more important to us than they should be. And by the way, do you have to have money to be materialistic? No. You can be broke and have nothing and be as materialistic as all get up. Because you're longing for it. You're wanting it. You see, the things of this world we need to understand, they're not the most important thing. Paul could say this, he had learned in whatsoever state he was, was therewith to be content. He had learned both how to abound and he had learned how to be abased. The reality of life for Paul was the material things are not the main issue for me. Uh, They're just incidentals. Right? Now, we live in an age that's very materialistic and therefore is very often very shallow spiritually because we've got a weight that's hanging out of us. Because we live... And by the way, it's not always been this way... In the early 1900s, they developed the kind of economy that we live in now that really is built on greed and covetousness. If you can't inspire, that's the wrong word, isn't it? if you can't stir greed and covetousness in a, in a people today, you couldn't run the economy. Right? How could you run the economy? Because you want them to buy more and more and more. Right? The iPhone 7 has just come out. Now, why did they bring out an iPhone 7? Because they want you to get fed up with your iPhone 6 uh, and they want you to buy an iPhone 7. That's why. You know, and, you know, the differences are minimal, but they want you to kind of put one aside. And, you know, isn't that the, the, everything? There's Mark 2, there's Mark 3, there's, a, there's all, all these changes, and you're encouraged to, to buy more. Used to be you could have an old car and shine it up and polish it up, and nobody would know what age it was. So they wrote it on the number plate now. And if you've got a 16, what is it, a 16B? Uh, uh, now you have you have the latest model car, and that's a mark of pride, right? And you know what? That's our that's our culture. Now you got to you got to dislocate from our culture if you're going to actually live spiritual, because materialism can be a weight. Because remember, you can't love God and Mammon. So if you're going to go after all that junk, if you're going to be be taken up with all that junk, and that be your focus, and that be. You, you're going to have a weight hanging around you spiritually and it's going to kill you spiritually. Right? <clears throat> so don't let that be the thing uh, that holds you back. What about this? What about immorality in our day and age? Right? <clears throat> Look, there's always been immorality, but there's never been a day when there was immorality as easily accessible as it is today. It's just there. And the church is just struggling with it. I read a, a figure somewhere that says 68% of people, of men in, in, in church, look at pornography. Now, I don't know where they get these figures. Um, you know, but you have to think, you know what, that is significant. That means the church has got a problem. And by the way, the figure for ladies is not that much far, not, not, not far behind it now. What you've got is you've got an immorality that is just sucking the life out of people. Look with me at <clears throat> Hosea chapter 4. I want to show you something there, right? Eh? 
Hosea chapter 4 and verse 11. Let me read you a couple of verses before, right? <clears throat> um, and that shall be verse 9, Hosea chapter 4, verse 9. Are we there? If you hear the pages turn here. Look into somebody, look into the person beside you, look into their Bible, right? Hosea chapter uh, 4, <clears throat> verse 9. And there shall be like people, like priests, and I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their doings, for they shall eat and not have enough. Eat and not have enough. What's that talking about there? Never satisfied. Never satisfied. Never, never, you know, never in the place where you've had enough, right? Uh, and I will punish them for their ways and reward them their doings. Uh, sorry. <clears throat> and they shall not increase because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. Now look at the next verse. Whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. Now, if we just put in there, Instead of whoredom, we put in immorality. Immorality and wine and new wine take away the heart. What does it mean, take away the heart? How would you take away someone's heart? Okay, think about this for a second. We see somebody, we see somebody starts hitting the bottle, and they become an alcoholic, and they're drinking all the time, and um, <clears throat> that becomes their life and their focus. What do they have a heart for in their lives at that point? Fine. Exactly. That's what it's talking about. That's all you have a heart for. It takes away the heart. It steals the heart. That's all they want to do. Uh, That's what they live for. That becomes their life. That becomes their focus. Right? Now, what happens when somebody lets immorality get a hold of them? Does God send a lightning bolt the first time somebody clicks on the immorality on on the computer uh, to kill them? No, he doesn't. Sometimes, and sometimes we're kind of expecting, you know, God's going to beat somebody up. And, no, he doesn't do that. But what happens to them is they lose their heart. Their heart gets caught up in it. Their hearts get focused on it. They lose their heart, their desire for spiritual things. They lose their heart, uh, desire uh, to walk with God. They, 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 they lose their heart for faith. It just sucks it out of them. And, you know, when you look at some people, now nobody ever says, well, you know what, I've been immoral, therefore I couldn't, be in, couldn't give a hoot about God or the church. Nobody ever says that, Right? What they will do is they will come and they will say, well, you know what, try that and it didn't work for me. No, it sucks away your desire for spiritual things. You see, the Bible says keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. You've got to be careful there. You've got to be careful. You've got to watch, watch these things because they will suck you dry <clears throat> and um, leave you in the place where, you know what, you're not interested. And it happens way too often. People just fall by the wayside because they're all caught up in the wrong kind of things and, and their heart is gone with it. Um, <clears throat> what about excessive ambition? Right? Is it good for you to be... And we always need to kind of qualify this. Is it good for you to be ambitious, i.e. you want to better yourself? Yeah, that's good. That's a good thing. Right? In the Lord, that's a good thing for you. But <clears throat> excessive ambition would be you know, when you're counting uh, the rewards of the world as being who you are and you're going for them and your life is taken up with them. Remember, it's all about the heart. It's all about where your heart and your focus is. Is your heart and your focus on God and eternity or is your heart and your focus on now and what you can have now? It's all about that. 
Isn't, isn't that what we looked at last week in Hebrews chapter 11? When we talked about Abraham, and, you know, Abraham gave up more of the Chaldees. He gave up comfort and coziness. Why? To walk with God. Moses, uh, you know, gave up the comfort of Pharaoh's palace, and he said, said that he would rather enjoy the affliction with the nation of Israel, uh, with the people of God, than to enjoy the comforts of Pharaoh's palace, right? So remember that, that when it comes to you having faith, you know, you're not ambitious for this world. This world doesn't do it for you. You're ambitious for the next world. You may want to better yourself in this world, but that's not going to stop you from your focus being on the next world, your focus being on heaven upon his kingdom. I catch that there's a balance there for us uh, to catch, uh, <clears throat> but excessive ambition becomes a weight that drags you down. Something you're focusing on that's pulling you away from God. Um, <clears throat> yeah, th- th- those are just a few common things. And by the way, there are a lot of other things out there, aren't there? A lot of things that, that, that you can get involved in that can just tear you down, that become weights, uh, weights about your neck. Paul said this. He said, all things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. Right? <clears throat> Um, can a runner go out and run a race in an overcoat and boots? If you show up for the marathon with your overcoat and boots on you, they're going to say, no, you're disqualified. You can't run because you've got an overcoat and boots on you. No. If you're daft enough to run in an overcoat and boots, you can go and do it. Right? <clears throat> but you won't get very far. And the thing is, Paul is saying is, you know, all things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. All things are not good for me. All things are not helpful for me. I'm involved in a race I want to do well. I want to live by faith and walk by faith. So you know what? I need to remove things, even things that somebody else might think is okay. If it's pulling me back, I need to get rid of it. And by the way, we need to understand that there is no one-size-fits-all in some of these things. There are certain things that will be wrong for you and fine for somebody else. You say, that's not fair. It's reality. You know what? It is just reality. Uh, if you love pizza and you have a weight problem and you can't pass a pizza shop, you know what? That doesn't mean that we should close down all the pizza shops in the country. <clears throat> I, you, know, you just need to avoid pizza shops. Uh, and, uh, you know, so under, understand that, that the things... So don't look at somebody else to find your standard. You need to look to the Lord and you need to understand all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. This is not good for me. I'm not doing it. You know what? There's no way to live the Christian life truly, without walking with the Spirit of God. There really is no way. Um, <clears throat> now, um, <clears throat> one of the things that Paul, Paul would have been dealing with with the Hebrews was uh, with legalism. He was writing to a predominantly Jewish audience that struggled with the issue. They were trying to run the race with all their Jewish ceremonies, rituals, and rites. In essence, this writer said, get rid of all that and run the race of faith. Live by faith, not by works. Right? Now let me read you what he says here uh, to us. Many Christians still live by works. They believe if they do certain things, God is obliged to keep score and say, that's wonderful. You went to a Bible study, had a quiet time in the Word totally uh, today, uh, did something nice for your neighbor and went to church. If those things are done from the overflow of one's love for Jesus Christ as acts of devotion, that's great. Uh, but there are many Christians who think they are meriting God's favor that way. Instead of Jewish legalism, it's Christian legalism. Now, get what he's saying here. He's saying that if you do those things and you do them 
for merit. Okay, God's going to be impressed with me. Look at me. I had my devotions this morning. I, uh, I'm in church tonight. You know, I've been nice to people today. God's going to be really impressed with me. That's doing it meritoriously or legalistically. And you know what? That may make you a very nice person to be around. But it's not walking by faith. And in fact, it becomes an obstacle to you walking by faith. Because what you're doing is you're depending upon what you can do. You're not depending upon God and his power. It's not relationship. And the problem for us is that we're we're all prone to this. We like religion. Much as we say we don't, we actually do. We like somebody giving us a list of rules, nice easy list of rules preferably, uh, that we can keep and then we're okay, we, we, we do fine, right? Uh, but the list of rules becomes a barrier to faith because I can do my list of rules by myself. And you say, okay, so then should I not have devotions if I don't, if I don't uh, want to do it for, for, for the love of God and for my relationship with God? Well, that's not going to help you either. But you need to understand that the heart is the key to the issue, not religion. Not religion. You don't understand that. And that, that's a key one for us to get. You see, <clears throat> we can be motivated by a whole bunch of things. One of the things we can be motivated by is guilt. And we get motivated to do things by guilt. And you know what? <clears throat> we'll say I could motivate you all to do things by guilt, right? <clears throat> motivate you all to do all the things that you need to do by guilt. It would look really good, wouldn't it? You know, and uh, there would be some benefits in your life because you would, you would stay out of a lot of trouble. Uh, but the problem with it is it's not spiritual. It's not real. It's not you developing that relationship with God. And as soon as you get out from under the guilt, you know what? You fall apart because you don't have a relationship. And that so often happens. So what we're shooting for in our spiritual walk, in this walk of faith, is a relationship with God that guides me, not a list of rules that manipulates me into doing so. Now, we get that a lot. Now, talk to me back and forth about this one because I don't want you going off saying, oh, yeah, the pastor said oh, we don't have to have devotions anymore because no doubt somebody will, uh, right? Uh, I, you know, that's not what we're saying. That's not what we're saying. But here's what I am saying, that if you're having devotions because you're checking a box every day, you know, and you're saying, oh, hey, look at me, I'm, uh, I'm pretty good. That, that's nonsense. That's not doing it. That's just religion. Right? When I was a kid, uh, come Lent, we would go to Mass. Every day for Lent. Now, I don't know why I went to Mass. I was not interested in Mass. But it was kind of something good you were supposed to do during Lent. So you'd show up at Mass. You know, you, <clears throat> you hadn't any heart or desire for it. but you, you did, and, and you felt good about yourself. And you save up all your chocolates and uh, have a feast on, uh, on Easter Sunday morning. Right? You know, th- there was no God in it. There was nothing. It was just religion. Now, can Christians do the same thing? Yeah. They often do. And there needs to be that relationship. Christianity is driven by relationship. If you're going to walk by faith, it's not rules. It's relationship. It's a faith relationship with him. And by the way, that takes you to a whole new level spiritually. That puts you in a place where, you know, whatever he asks me, I'm, I'm willing to do. 
whatever, he asks me. It's not about obeying rules now. It's about a sweet relationship with him, and I'm willing to do whatever, whatever he wants to have that relationship with him. And so, so it doesn't, this, this doesn't kind of put you lower. This puts you higher, but it puts you, in a, it puts you higher because of relationship. Okay, so you say, so what do you do? You say, oh, well, Pastor, you know what? To be honest with you, <clears throat> my heart's not in my devotions. Um, uh, I, I probably shouldn't do devotions because my heart's not in them. No, no, no. You need to understand the thing is the heart, so you need to make it an issue of the heart. Lord, help me. I want a relationship with you. Remember, you're heaven-bound. You're a child of God. You're heaven-bound. And the power to live the life you want to live as you go to heaven is found in him, in that relationship with him. You need him. You need to cry out to him and ask him to help you, ask him to change things. Because we're children of heaven, not just children of the world. So it's not a case if you say, okay, well, I won't have devotions anymore. Because if you say, if you don't have devotions anymore, you're going to die on the vine spiritually. But you know what? If you're doing check-in-the-box devotions, you're going to die on the vine spiritually too. If it's just a matter of the, of the course of things, you need to get real in this thing. It needs to become real for you so that it's not just you going through motions, it's you connecting with a being. And you know what? It's what you were born for. It's what you were born for, and you'll never be happy apart from coming to that place where you're related to him in that deep level. That's what you were born for. <clears throat> and you see, that's what makes getting rid of anything that holds me back worthwhile. See, you don't know that relationship with him. What you're going to be thinking is you're going to be thinking, what can I get away with? What would be okay for me to do? What can I, <clears throat> you know, what can I kind of skirt by the edge on? Oh, what <clears throat> stuff can I watch? Uh, what things can I do? that, you know what, that I'm not going to get in trouble with God over. Right? That, 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 that's rule keeping. But if you come to the place where you have a relationship and you start living by faith and walking by faith, it's, Lord, I love this. I want this. I want more of this. Is there anything that, that would help me have more of this? Anything that's standing between us? Then, then Lord, I, I want rid of that. You see... <clears throat> Take, take pornography, for, uh, for instance. You know, for somebody to overcome pornography is incredibly difficult in their lives. I mean, it's kind of, it's a big deal. Overcoming something that, 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 that gives them uh, so much pleasure is kind of hard for people. But you know what? If it was getting in the way of a sweeter relationship, then it becomes worth doing. And that's how we need to see life as believers. I want to get rid of stuff out of my life that hinders my relationship with him. I want to get rid of anything uh, that holds me back in my relationship with him. All right. Another weight of sin that so easily entangles us is doubt. A believer may strongly sense his or her heart, in his or her heart, the truth of Philippians 4.19, God will supply all your needs, right? You You might believe that. How many of you believe that? We all believe that, don't we? How many of you believe, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added uh, to you? Yeah, we, we, we believe those things. Right now, if we believe those things, then why would we worry? Isn't there something wrong there? 
If I really believe that God is a good God and he loves me and he knows what's best and he has the power to do it and he says, listen, he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, why would I worry? Because I may subscribe to it with my head, but the reality of it's not true in my life. Now, does that bother God? Let me ask you this. Does it bother God when you and I worry? Or does he just say, ah, bless. That's the way they are. Let me think. Okay, what's the most important thing about you and I to God? Our faith. Right? The fact that we trust him. Okay, now, when we don't trust him, you know what? He's grieved. He's upset. Now, he doesn't kick us out of the family or anything like that, but he is upset. Okay? Now, and God puts things in our lives that, that, would, that would help us to feel this way. Right? I'm a father, right? So I've got children. So say my children are small. Well, we say I've got my five-year-old coming up to me all the time and saying to me, Dad, do you think there'll be enough food for Steve tomorrow? Do you, do you think, do you, do you, I, I, I just don't think there will be. I think, you know what, the food's going to dry up, and I think you didn't make enough money, and I think we're going to get hungry. Dad, uh, I, I, I'm really concerned. Well, you know, at first you'd reassure the child, but after a while it would become a bother to you, and you would be saying, kid, I will feed you. I've always fed you. I will take care of you. Stop worrying about it. Now, you want the kid to get over it. Wouldn't that be true? Now, the same thing is true of God. God says, what do you mean you're worrying about me taking care of you? I've always taken care of you. I've always met your needs. I've always looked after you. I, I gave you promises that say I will take care of you. I want you to trust me. God wants us to trust him. He wants, he, he, he wants to see us in a place where we have faith. Remember Peter when he stepped out of the boat. That's a great picture, isn't it? You know, Peter says, Lord, if it be you, bid me come unto you. He's looking at the waves. He's, looking, he's not looking at the waves. He's looking at Jesus. Lord, if it be you, bid me come to you. Now, Jesus didn't say, Peter, don't be so daft. I walk on water, but you just sit in the boat. I'll be there in a minute. And he says, okay, come. Now, why? Why did Jesus say come to Peter? Why did, why did Jesus want to do that? Nathan? Okay, but why actually take Peter and invite Peter to come? He, he, he proved himself in lots of ways. Okay, so he was pleased with Peter's demonstration of faith. Yeah? Now, get that, understand that. Jesus rebukes the disciples more for a lack of faith than for anything else. If you follow through the scripture, that, that's what he's rebuking them for. He's rebuking them. He's going to rebuke Peter. He's going to say, oh, Peter, why did you doubt? I had you. You were okay. Why did you doubt? You see, he wants us to demonstrate faith. By the way, there's something interesting. You look at this. is not biblical necessarily, but it, but it follows through on this. That if you, if you read Christian biographies, what you'll find is you'll find somebody stepping way out in faith. Hudson Taylor <clears throat> went to China, right? And he went to China with no promise of money. 
None. He fell out with the mission board and he cancelled it and he went to China with no promise of money. And, you know, if you and I were there, if, if, if you and I were Hudson Taylor's mother and father, we'd be saying to him now, listen, Hoodie, don't do that. That's ridiculous. You're going to starve. Right? <clears throat> we would just, that, that, that's, that's crazy. We know God can take care of but why don't you go and ask some people to help you uh, and, and, and to go and do it. Now remember, there's nothing over there for him, right? And then he gets married. Right? And Hudson Taylor uh, tells his wife on the week of the wedding, oh, by the way, honey, I need you to understand this, I have no money for the wedding reception. In fact, I have no money at all. And unless God gives us some money, there's going to be no wedding, and um, you know what, there's going to be no food for us to eat either. Now, wouldn't you be really tremendously encouraged uh, <clears throat> if you heard that? Now, what's Hudson Taylor doing? Hudson Taylor is stepping way out in faith And God met him. Again and again, God met him. You know, George Mueller. I don't think at any point that George Mueller got a letter from God saying, George, I want you to feed thousands of orphans and do it by faith. I think George Mueller said, these kids are starving. God is able. The word says he's able. Lord, can I do this? And so he started doing it, and he stepped way out in faith. And, you know, it's one thing to trust God for yourself, isn't it? Hudson Taylor had a huge problem. God, God led him to believe that God would bring many more missionaries to China. And he almost fell apart because he could trust God for himself, but he felt like he couldn't bear the pressure of trusting God for a thousand missionaries. And, and, and he struggled. He struggled greatly with Because it's one thing to trust God to look after you. It's another thing entirely to trust God to look after uh, more than you. Right? And so here you've got George Mueller trusting God, not telling anybody, never making, never making a request known, but trusting God <clears throat> to actually meet the need. And again and again, God did it. Uh, there's a story about um, uh, C.H. Spurgeon. That C.H. Spurgeon had prayed in a certain amount of money for some project. I think it was 5,000 pounds. I could be wrong. Okay, don't hold me down. The story's true. Uh, The figure may not be true, right? Uh, But Spurgeon had prayed in uh, this certain amount of money uh, for a certain project, and God gave him the money. And so he was rejoicing in the fact that God had given him the exact amount of money to do uh, this thing that he, that he needed to do. And God said, now go and give it to George Mueller. Right? And Spurgeon walked close enough to God to know what God was saying. So he went and he took the money to George Mueller. And it was exactly what he needed. And God supplied his need again. But here's the point I want to make to you. What you have there is you have George Mueller praying for God to meet his needs over here and God speaking to Spurgeon over here and saying, now go give it to him. And God is working in the hearts of his people to actually meet the needs. That's a bit scary, isn't it? Imagine you're going for the grocery list. That's a bit scary. Imagine you're sitting facing your, your, your orphans and there's no food for them. That's happened. And uh, uh, Mueller would would pray and ask God, and God would bring the food. 
Great stories, wonderful stories. But he stepped out in faith and God met him again and again and again. Now, here's the, here, here's the thought for you. The thought is this. Listen, <clears throat> if you want your faith to grow, you're going to have to step out in faith and trust God. You're going to have to depend upon him. You know, <clears throat> one of the prayers I pray regularly is, Lord, Lord, increase my faith. Right? Now, it's a dangerous prayer. Because how's God going to increase your faith? How does God increase your faith? How does he do it? What does God have to do to increase your faith? He has to put you in a tight spot, doesn't he? He has to put you in a tight spot where the only thing that's going to meet the need is him. So when you pray, Lord, when you pray, Lord, increase my faith, that's what you're asking God to do. You're asking God to put you in tight spots. And he does meet your, meet your, meet your need. But it's scary. But that's what God wants. God wants us to live in that place where we're trusting him by faith. So when it comes to money, money's not a major issue. Okay, God has lots of money. He's no problem with money. Money's not a major issue. But it becomes a major issue for us, and it becomes so often the issue that God tests us with. So often it's the issue that he says, okay, you don't have enough, do you? You can't do what needs to be done. Okay, how are you going to get it? Faith is going to depend upon him for it. You know, fear and doubt is going to have you scurrying off all over the place trying to make something happen. But faith is going to depend upon him. Lord, you take care of it. And here's the thing. You know, you may not be in the place today financially where you hope to be or where you plan to be or where you'd like to be. But you know what? God has taken care of you very well. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? As you look back over the years, God has taken care of you very well. And he says, listen, I've done it in the past. I will do it in the future. Trust me. Let me take care of you. Uh, The protection we have against doubt, though, uh, is the shield of faith. In in Ephesians 6, verse 16, uh, when Satan fires uh, temptations at us, we to stop them with the shield of faith. How would that work in this? So we'll say, you decide, okay, you're going to do something for God, and you're, you're, you're stepping out by faith, and you're going to do something for God. What's, going, what's the next thing that's going to happen? Anybody that's done it, what's the next thing that happens? I'm, yeah, the doubts come flying in, don't they? The enemy, the enemy starts firing death. And, and a fiery dart's a really interesting picture. You ever see the, you ever see the films where they, they pull back this, this, this arrow, and it's got whatever, the wax or whatever it is on the end? I'd love to do one sometime. That'd be a great demonstration, wouldn't it? Uh, but, but they fire it, and it hits it, and it goes splodge. And not only does the wax or whatever is go any, everywhere, but the flame goes everywhere. And what happens for you and I, you know, we're trusting God, and all of a sudden the doubt comes in, doesn't it? <gasps> it'll never work out. I'm going to die. I'm trusting him, but it'll never work out. I'm going to die on this one, right? And the, 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 that, 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 that doubt comes in. Now, the only way for you to deal with that doubt is your shield of faith. My Heavenly Father loves me. He has taken care of me in the past. And he will always take care of me because he loves me. I'm going to be fine. 
that shield of faith's got to go up. And you've got you to put that, that. That's how you fight doubt. Doubt is fought with the shield of faith. It's, you, you, can't, you, you can't reason doubts out. Don't we try and do that? Okay, okay, well, I'm, well, if this happens, I can do this, and I can do this, and I can do this. And all the time while you're doing that, the, the flames are burning, and you're being engulfed in your doubt. No, the answer is, my God will take care of me. He promised. And you want to trust him. Um, <clears throat> every time we sin, it's because we believe Satan instead of God. And every time we doubt, uh, and every time we fall in faith, it's because <clears throat> what we're doing is uh, we're believing him. Okay, so we're letting things that are weights creep into our lives and they pull us away from faith. They pull us away from that place where we're trusting God. They destroy our trust in him and we need to fight against it. We need to lift up the shield of faith and we need to depend upon him to do it. Now, we're going to talk about looking to Jesus. We'll come back to it next week. Any questions on what we're looking at there tonight? Our God is able, right? The thing we need to focus on, the thing we've looked at tonight, is if I'm going to walk with him by faith, I need to remove those things from my life that hinder faith. Remember, God is not going, God is, God is not going to, uh, you're not, your eternity is not going to be dictated by the amount of money you have in the bank, by the car you drive, by the house you live in. Uh, it's not going to be dictated by any of those things. Your faith is the key component to eternity. And what you're going to, where, you, where you're going to be in eternity, right? Faith saves, first of all. Once you get saved, you're saved. And then faith is going to gain you rewards. He's going to test you and ask you to trust him. Faith is going to gain you rewards. So you need to trust him. Any questions? All right, now let's go out and do it, folks. Let's lay aside every, we- every weight and the sin that will so easily beset us. Let's not let anything hold us back, Right? Let's, let's take everything God has for us. You know, you're going to run a race. You, you, you don't set out to run the race and be the last one coming across the line, do you? You set out to do your best in this race and to be, uh, do the best you possibly can. Listen, get rid of every weight that holds you back. Well, Hmm. Mm. Yeah, and we'll look at that next week, looking unto Jesus. We're supposed to look unto him, look unto him for who he is, for his power, and for what he's done for us. We're supposed to look unto him and depend upon him, All right? Okay, let's pray. And then we'll go to prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this evening. Thank you, Lord, uh, for this people. Now, Lord, we are looking to you tonight. We are depending upon you. Blessed Spirit of the living God, would you work in our hearts and would you give us this week, Lord, victory over the doubts that so easily beset us and tear us down? Lord, would you uh, take and grow each one of us by faith, Lord? Grow us in faith, Lord, that we might trust you more and that we might please you more. And all, Lord, that you might give us a better resurrection. Now, Lord, we're looking to you and depending upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.